0: Welcome to The Eon Project with Mike and Jay. The following is a past episode of an early incarnation of The Eon Project. This was an interview Mike and Jay conducted with R. Gary Patterson. Mr. Patterson was a native Tennessean and a rock and roll historian. Recently, Mr. Patterson passed away. He will surely be missed, and our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends. This is our tribute to him. Rest in peace, sir, and always know... The truth exists. Believe it. Live from the WNRI studios, perched high atop the banks of the majestic Peters River. Greetings from the jewel of the Blackstone Valley, Woonsocket, Rhode Island. Welcome to the darker side with Mike and Jay.
1: Welcome to everyone.
0: Yes, welcome. We have a, a special treat for you this evening, folks.
1: We do, and it's me. I'm here.
0: Well, you're here every week. You're just uh, an everyday treat. But I'm a
1: special treat. Oh, you're special. My All mom right. says I'm special. Oh, you're sweet. We had a great day today. Yeah,
0: we did. We had a great we, day. We
1: went. We jointly went to a barbecue.
0: We had a barbecue slash a birthday, slash uh, birthday bash. Birthday fiesta.
1: Lots of fun. Weather was great. Mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, we'd like to welcome any, uh, any new guests tuning in, and of course we thank uh, our, our devoted listeners that tune in every week. Who
1: really wanted to know that we went to a birthday party today.
0: Well, they, they enjoy uh, listening to extra special glimpses into our lives.
1: I think that they do. We, think, we feel they do.
0: I bet they think that we never separate. I bet that's what they think.
1: We, that's true almost.
0: Anyway, as you know, we only have uh, one hour with you uh, each week. <laughs> only one. And uh, normally we go on with uh, some uh, small talk and a little uh, banter. And uh, some, uh, some bizarre news stories that, uh, that we come across during the week. However, tonight we have a, a, a special guest joining us. Yes. So uh, we're not going to do our typical banter. We want to no. get right into the interview because, of course, we only have an hour.
1: Time is short and time is valuable, Time is say. short,
0: so it's, uh, it, it's going to be very quick. So tonight we will be talking with our Gary Patterson. And uh, our Gary Patterson is a native Tennessean with a passion for rock and roll. Right. As a published author with Simon and Schuster, Patterson's works portray many fascinating events that help shape musical history. In 1996, Patterson released his first book entitled "The Walrus's Paw," which actually I just read. I just
1: read it too. It's a great book,
0: and uh, I have it here with me today. Yes. And uh, is I that wrote, in case
1: you you get lost, you can hurry up and flip through the pages? I, I
0: can flip through. Uh, <laughs> I'm hoping maybe I can mail it to him and he can sign it for me. That would be
1: great. Yeah.
0: That would be Good cool. idea. But anyway, uh, uh, Gary uh, also appeared on all the syndicated Beatle radio shows, including Westwood One's The Beatle Years, ABC's uh, ABC Radio's Beatle Archives, the Breakfast with the Beatles programs from New York to Los Angeles, and Joe Johnson's Beatle Brunch.
1: Lots of Beatles in there.
0: Absolutely. Patterson then released his second work, Hellhounds on Their Trail. Mm. Uh, in this work, Patterson continued with his popular theme of rock and roll's enduring myths and legends. Patterson's third book was released by Simon and Schuster's Fireside Books on July thirteenth, two thousand and four. It is called "Take a Walk on the Dark Side: Rock and Roll Myths, Legends, and Curses," which we're going to be talking about. That's
1: right up our alley.
0: That's right. Uh, fits right in with what we do here on the on the TV. Uh, I almost said TV show.
1: <laughs> we we hope to have a TV show someday. Some well, we're pretty
0: ugly. They don't really want to see us on no. TV, but. Anyway, Patterson's radio appearances continue to grow beyond the Beatles shows, and he enjoys being a, ge- a guest on Coast to Coast AM, which is a great show. Terrific show. Uh, Gary also continues to be a consultant for many of Rock Radio's premier stations nationwide and spends some of his time lecturing on college campuses. We're very
1: lucky to have him. That's basically it in a nutshell.
0: That's, that's very true. So uh, without further ado, we're going to bring Gary Patterson on the line with us. Hello, Mr. Patterson. Are you there, sir?
2: I'm right here. All
0: right. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? Outstanding, and you're you're in Tennessee.
2: Yes,
0: I am. It's uh, given away by your accent. Yes, absolutely.
2: Uh, well, well, you know, I didn't think I had that much of <laughs> it. I guess I do. Well, when you I, live in Rhode
1: Island, you know, you pretty much.
2: Yeah, it all stands out, doesn't
0: it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we sound funny to you. I'm I'm sure. No,
1: we're we're, yeah. we're pretty you know we're non-specific with our accent.
0: Yeah, we've we've been around. Actually, that that ties right in with what I want to mention. Uh, uh, I, I was very good friends with a, a native Tennessean w- uh, when I was in the uh, I was in the service for four years, and uh, he was a very good friend of my roommate of mine. He was actually from Memphis. I don't know how, how far you are from Memphis, but uh, he was a great a great individual. <laughs>
2: great. We have a lot of great people in Tennessee, from Memphis to Knoxville, and all points in between, I guess.
0: All right, so I, I think Gary, what we want to first start talking about, I, I'd like to get into the uh, uh, the, the Paul McCartney. Uh, Death hoax clues—you uh-huh. know, whatever you like to like to call it—we would like to get into that story first, if if we could. Uh, right.
1: a lot of people are are vaguely familiar with the uh, with, with the whole Paul McCartney is dead uh, controversy, but probably more so folks who were alive at the time, and the younger generation might not be very aware of, of really what was taking place back in the late sixties, early seventies with that with that entire deal. Is there any possible way you could give us a a concise um, kind of cliff note version of <laughs> what was what was going on then, uh, with, with with Paul McCartney?
2: Well, let me just say first of all, I knew that when I saw your guys' show, you know, the Dark Sider, the Radio, just it had to be made for me as a guest.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> well, we, we're I think very
2: welcome to Dark Side a lot. Let me. tell That's
1: you. that's great to hear, and, and you know, y- your works are right up the right up our alley, and we, we, we both enjoy rock music, and we we really like the the paranormal and the occult and all that good stuff. So there you are.
2: Yeah, we're going to have a great time so great let me do the cliff note version first of all you know a lot of people would hear this today and they think you know this thing is totally ridiculous it's you know it's crazy it couldn't happen but you got to remember it happened in 69 was when the rumors came out and in the 60s is a turbulent dick de- uh decade i mean first of all john kennedy was assassinated and uh you had robert kennedy assassinated you had Martin Luther King Jr. assassinated. You had the Gulf of Tonkin resolution. The government was not considered to be your friend, and they weren't very warm and cozy. Mm-hmm. And they so, still aren't. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, back then, you know, you were talking about a lot of uh, deaths and murders that were supposedly, you know, associated right. with intergovernment things. And I mean, it was very believable. I mean, that's why it probably hit at the perfect time. The other reason is the Beatles stopped performing live in 1966, mm-hmm. and the music changed. You know, when you listen to, well, Rubber Soul had a hint, but when Revolver came out, that album was completely different. It was right? revolutionary. And then in 67, when Sgt. Peppers came out, everything changed. I mean, the whole structure of the music, and of course, I know that Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys was a great inspiration of McCartney, but the, when Sgt. Peppers came out, they looked different. They had facial hair, I mean, The music was different. A lot of people kept saying, you know, something's wrong with the Beatles, and then this rumor came out that McCartney had been killed in a car accident in 66, and the other three Beatles were forced by their management and the labels to bring in an imposter, and when the imposter came in, the other three Beatles tried to get messages to their fans that this guy was really not Paul McCartney. And then you have this strange mythology of album art and songs. It started, well, with me, it started with Sergeant Peppers and worked its way up through right. Abbey Road. But some people, you know, they, they tended to go back much further than this. But I try to keep the time frame. Uh, the other thing that's kind of interesting is that when it was all put together and the changing of the music and the changing of the styles and the Beatles sort of destroyed themselves because after Sergeant Peppers, you know, they were criticized for not taking music even further. But ha- what more can you do? Right. They go back to the White Album and that's, you know, guitars, bass, and drums. And then, of course, Abbey Road was brilliant.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And the Let It Be album that was specterized, I guess, by Phil. But, you know, when you take a look at the, the work they did, I mean, they sort of, their creative energy sort of destroyed the band itself.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's pretty much uh, a case where the Beatles career as a group w- was kind of split in half. And you have the, the, the first years, the early years, and even when you buy the Beatles albums to this day, when you buy greatest hits, uh, there's actually two packages of greatest hits. You can buy the regular Beatles and the uh, Beatles remix, pretty much.
2: (laughs) Well, exactly. And look, September 9, 2009, everything comes out again. Mm -hmm. All remastered. That's right. And why would they do nine nine
1: nine? Well, that's that's part. Yeah, we're gonna get into a little bit of that.
2: <laughs> you know, you know what's? Yeah,
0: a quick uh, a quick number nine story. This is if, actually a really
1: funny story, if
0: I may. When okay, um, a friend of mine when I when I was a youngster, actually I think like fifth or sixth grade, going back many years ago. Many. Um, a friend of mine, his name was uh, Keith Garno. Actually, I don't know where he is. Hopefully, he's thing. listening. I haven't seen him in many years, but. He was way ahead of his time in terms of uh, his like for music and, and what he was into, and he really, really got me into uh, the Beatles. And he used to talk about the Beatles' death clues back then, uh, as as well as you know, the, of course, the Elvis conspiracy of him being alive and, and all that <laughs> stuff. But <laughs> yeah. we, it even got to the point where in uh, in we used to listen to Revolution Number Nine, and in school, every time the teacher if she was going down the list of answers to a test or something and said Number Nine then the kids in the class would start making noise and making, coughing. Yes,
1: drawing attention to the number.
0: It actually spread like a virus. It went through it, the entire school. And, and
1: I went to the same school. and We were in different classes, but I remember uh, whenever there was some sort of numerical uh, uh, countdown, whenever we'd get to number nine, all the kids would start to go, <coughs> <laughs> and pretty soon, the teachers were all aware of what we were doing. They yes. didn't know why we were doing it, but it was a very, it was, I don't even know why, it's the kids knew why they were doing it. But.
0: <laughs> so as a, tw- you know, as 12-year-old boys, we would sit around listening to old Beatles records and trying to pick out some of the supposed clues that were on the album covers. So maybe we can talk specifically about, especially Sgt. Pepper's, because I think that's the one that, that draws the most attention in terms of uh, the clues on the cover, if we could talk a little bit about that and some of the clues on, on that cover.
2: Well, see, I think *Sergeant Pepper's is the smoking gun, because if you take a look at the whole phenomena, you know, you're going to have, you have evenly divided camps. I mean, there are people who are convinced that Paul McCartney died in 1966, Mm -hmm. and he was replaced with this imposter, who in 69, the name was given as William Campbell from Canada, or Billy Shears. Right. And, I mean, a lot of the publications that came out at the time even had a, Chronology for where Billy Shears lived. His father's name was Philip Shears, so he lived in Chelsea in England. And well, I mean, the whole <laughs> thing was crazy. But mm. you have to you have to take a look at that and say, you know, if McCartney died in '66, probably his greatest song was Yesterday. Right. Well, the guy who was the imposter who came out with Sergeant Pepper. He, he had was pretty good. Pretty great songs, didn't he? <laughs> I mean, think of all the hits he had. Obviously, he was creatively much better than the original McCartney. Right. Not yeah. only did he, he look like way.
1: him, but he was more talented, right? He <laughs>
2: was much more talented. I mean, my gosh, and look at the songs he came out with the whole second side of Abbey Road and the others but so you have that idea and then the second concept is that it was all just public hysteria and you know I think the clues are divided in three categories you know first of all it's what I call is just the totally ridiculous it's where you take anything and you try to make it fit like a sledgehammer knocking in a round peg in a square hole after a while if you hit it hard enough it seems okay Paul didn't have a hat on on the help right. album and a lot of people most of the clues are like that but the third category, or well, the, the next category, I should say, second, is uh, guided-looking, guided-listening. If you look at the Sgt. Pepper cover, does the word Paul really appear in those yellow highs and flowers with the three black strings? Do the three black strings actually represent the three surviving beetles?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, if you listen to Strawberry Fields Forever at the end, does he really say, I buried Paul or cranberry sauce? And what always got me was that the beetle management said, oh, I was, we were in the studio, and John didn't say, I buried Paul. He said, I'm very bored. Mm -hmm. Now, what was interesting to me was Lennon said, he said, no, I said cranberry sauce. So you have, you know, three people, so that's got it listening. But the others that fascinated me and made me write the book had to be the smoking gun that the Beatles had actually planned to do this. And I think they did. And I guess that makes me different. But, you know, McCartney's been on television a lot. He was on David Letterman. He keeps talking about... Yeah, well, you know, I didn't have my shoes on when I had the Abbey Road picture, so it was supposed to be some mafia sign of death, or my ears weren't the same. People looked at me strange, and, right. you know, I just kicked my sandals off. So he is always interesting on the uh, Abbey Road album. I'd like to ask him the question about the Sgt. Pepper cover. Right. I'd like hmm. to hear him address that, because once I did the book, ABC did an interview with McCartney, and they were talking about the Free as a Bird video. Now, you guys know that in the Free as a Bird video, there's over 90 references to Beatles songs they hid in the video. Right. And when they asked McCartney about it, he says, well, it became a bit of a game in the old Beatle days to put little hidden things in. (laughs) So he admitted putting little <laughs> hidden things in. And, and McCartney's had fun with this because he had the album Paul is Live when he's walking across Abbey Road again, leading Arrow, his son, sheepdog. He, uh, on The Simpsons, he has a backward track on Maybe I'm a <laughs> Amazed where he gives a ripping recipe for lentil soup. And at the end, he says, oh, by the way, I'm alive. So, I mean, he's having <laughs> a, he, he probably has a good time with that. I, but, it, yeah, I'm sorry.
0: That's okay. Um, I think, and uh, I'm sure you're probably going to get to this, but I think the one of the more startling clues obviously you can you can read into a lot of the stuff on the cover mm-hmm. like you said interpret it as as you will but the 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 whole uh, mirror thing up to the album cover is very interesting yeah. if you could talk about that
2: well i think that's the smoking gun right and i i don't think that anyone could say that that was a coincidence mm-hmm. and the reason why if you know the history of the sergeant pepper cover was that the album was designed by Peter Blake, but the only artistic work on the album cover that wasn't designed by Blake was the bass drum skin, and it was designed by Joe Epgrave. And you take the word "ep" and Grave, it sounds suspiciously like epitaph Mm -hmm. and Grave. And if you look at the cover, there was always the rumor that the word Beatles was on a freshly dug grave, and the figures behind the bass drum were the mourners at the funeral. And there was an open hand over Paul's head. Now Life Magazine said, well, the open hand was a symbol of a Far Eastern death clue. Now that that may be totally ridiculous, but at least a hand is over his head. He's picked out of the group. But if you look in the crowd, you'll see Lewis Carroll. And Lewis Carroll wrote Alice's Adventures Through the Looking Glass. So what you do is you take a straight-edge mirror, and if you have your CD or your album at home, try this. Take the straight-edge mirror, put it in the center of lonely hearts so that you can read the reflectant with uh, the album cover in the mirror and go from left to right and it spells numeral one O-N-E which is one again and then you have numeral I-X which is nine and then it says he die and between he and die is a diamond shaped arrow that perfectly points up to Paul McCartney and down to the grave right and that's basically giving you
1: the date too
2: yeah yeah because on a tombstone you know a tombstone's purpose is to tell who died and the date of his death well if the arrow points up to McCartney that settles the first question And 119, now I had heard later after I did this that some people interpreted it as 111, cross out the fourth when he died. But see, that doesn't really make sense because you have to have a date of death. So what you have is 11 becomes 11 and then 9. That would be November the 9th. Now, mm-hmm. why it's November the 9th and not September 11th? I guess today, September 11th, would be more ominous, wouldn't it? But Or January 9th. At, <laughs> yeah, take a look at November 9th. What really intrigued me was there's three Beatle references about a car accident Paul McCartney had on November 9th, 1966. So you do have a date of the accident, and the story goes that, you know, that it was, he was not hurt, but the accident occurred at 5 o'clock in the morning after leaving Abbey Road Studios. So if you look on a calendar to 1966, November the 9th would be a Wednesday. When you turn the album cover over in the back, the album is blood red, and George is pointing to the first line of the song she's leaving home, and the first line says, Wednesday morning at five o'clock, as the day begins.
3: Mm-hmm. And of
2: course, Paul has his back to the camera. So the question is, whoever came up with the phrase, lonely hearts, and there were two drum skins designed for the cover. And the only similarity in both drum skins is the way Lonely Hearts was written in the exact font. Everything else was different. So it was key to give the clue. So the whole history of the Beatles, Sergeant Peppers, Lonely Hearts Club Band, that phrase was to give a Paul is Dead clue. So the question is, why did the Beatles do this?
1: Right. They put an awful, awful lot of time into it, and as you said before, there's a lot of characters on, on the uh, on the cover, and and a lot of them have significance. So, um, oh, they did, yeah. So the uh, music's telling us we're going to go to a break, but uh, uh, Gary, you can hold on through the break. Is that right? Sure,
3: That's great guys. All
1: right, well, stay tuned. We're going to get more into uh, into the Beatles.
0: Welcome back to The Darker Side with Mike and Jay. Our special guest tonight is our Gary Patterson, author, rock and roll historian, all around great guy. And probably a good bowler, I imagine. I'm sure that he is. Uh, if you have a question for Gary, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't mind taking a, a question from some of the listeners. The numbers here are 766 1380 769 0600. If you're outside the area, you can call 1 800 949 9674. Gary, still with us? I'm right here. How you doing? Um, as we just came in from the break obviously uh, Strawberry Fields Forever was one of the bumper songs mm-hmm. coming in if I might ask you about that song specifically um, a, c- a couple things about it uh, I heard a while ago that um, and maybe you can shed some light on this that it was, when you listen to that song John Lennon sounds awfully different than in some of his other songs that he sings and uh, there was an interview with George Martin where he said that they actually slowed down the vocal track to to bring down his vocals a notch, do you know if that if that's true or not?
2: Well, I know that the original track was recorded at two speeds. Ah, okay. So, one of the tapes was faster, and George Martin, who was a genius, I R- mean, right. if anybody should be the fifth Beatle, I don't know if the Beatles would have ever had the success with any other producer and, you know, an engineer than George Martin and Jeff Emmerich, but he had to, Lennon liked both takes. One was faster, one was slower. So. What Martin had to do was slow the tape down, speed it up, and just run it. So yeah, you're right. And a lot of times when you slow a tape down, it's easier on the vocal, mm-hmm. you know. Or if you have to hit a higher part, you speed the tape up, it makes you hit the higher part without straining your voice. But yeah, it was two tape speeds that George Martin had to work to get the thing exactly right for Lennon. I
0: actually have some uh, some sound editing software that I've been messing with a little bit recently, and I. I took that song because for years and years I was totally convinced that at the end of the song he says I buried Paul right. I, I'd listen to it you know in the normal you know you know, album or CD and that, that's what it sounded like to me but I kind of separated the vocals a little bit recently and now I'm 100% convinced that he does say cranberry sauce <laughs> now I, I don't know what your opinion is on that how you, how you interpret it but I, I I'm pretty sure that's what he says.
2: <laughs> well, I am too. But what the funny part is yep. if we did an experiment with your listeners, mm-hmm. I could say, okay, I want you to listen because he says I buried Paul. Yep. And we'd play it a few times and everybody would hear it. Yep. And I'd say, no, no, I want you to listen again. Now he says cranberry sauce. Right. And everybody would hear cranberry sauce. Right. And if I said, listen a third time, he's really saying I'm very bored. And, you know, I think it's a power suggestion, which is one of the things with a lot of backward tracks. But you've got to remember the Beatles had the very first backward vocal track on Rain. And on the third vocal, when Lennon sang it, uh, it sounded like he's chanting, but actually all he's saying is when the rain comes, they run and hide their heads. So, you know, they were fascinated with the the technology of, uh, of the sound of backward tracks. Like, for instance, with cymbals, you know, where it goes like that. Yep. You can hear it all through strawberry fields forever.
0: Right. And that that's a, that's a cymbal crash coming in backwards? Is that what you're saying?
2: Right. That's what
0: it is. Oh, wow. Okay, that's cool.
1: So it's obvious that even if, even if the Beatles originally plan, didn't plan for the controversy to get as large as it did, uh, once it got rolling, they're not going to stop it because they're selling <laughs> records.
2: Yeah, which is kind of interesting. You know, Here's a theory. You tell me what you guys think about this. Mm. How revolutionary was Sgt. Pepper's for the Beatles?
1: Well, it was, it was the first generally accepted first concept album, correct?
2: Uh, that's correct. But the other thing is, was it a gamble for the Beatles to do this? You
3: well, know, it's mean, a departure a people,
1: from, their, from their normal, fr- from exactly. what they had done up to that point.
2: Exactly. I mean, this was a gamble to go into this concept thing with the band and, and everything else because, you know, a lot of the fans at that time, they were thinking the music was changing too radically. So let's say that maybe the Beatles had a little insurance policy. Let's say if the album didn't sell, that, you know, oh my gosh, there's clues that Paul is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, people would go out buy the album <laughs> to see if they could find the clues. <laughs> I mean, That's a way to look at it, right? Well, you know, it, it makes sense that it's such a gamble, because you had the really big clues on uh, *Sergeant Peppers, and of course Magical Mystery Tour had some clues that maybe weren't as dominant. Mm-hmm. I mean, people believe them very, very seriously, like the walrus symbol. You know, I remember that when it came out, there was a rumor the walrus, or the word walrus was Greek for corpse, which wasn't true, but it didn't matter if it was true, people accepted right. it. You know, and it became part of the mythology. But, you know, the Beatles sort of backed up a little bit. No album really had as many great clues as Sgt. Pepper's. Mm-hmm. and But then again, you know, when the White Album came out, and, and, and Glass Onion, when John Lennon sang, here's another clue for you all, the Wallers was Paul. Right. In 1968, it's kind of like they were maybe disappointed nobody found these clues,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, a year or so later. And of course, when he mentions another clue, it implies there were others before. So, you know, then the rumors hit in 69, and then everybody was really into it, and the Beatles denied everything, but if you also remember in 69 of August, which was a few months before October 12th, when the the Clues broke with uh, Russ Gibb, there was also a murder in California by the Manson family, Mm -hmm. in which Beatle lyrics were written in blood all over the wall. Charles Manson was hearing secret messages from the White Album. so. What if uh, Lennon and McCartney were summoned to California and they asked him if they put hidden messages in their songs that might, you know, uh, control people's uh, unconscious thoughts? Well, right? they wouldn't
1: want to be connected with anything like that at that point.
2: Never. And I think the best thing for them to do was just be quiet and let it rot out. And of course, in 69, they weren't very friendly anyway. Right. You know, so it was, uh, they were breaking up. But, you know, it still didn't stop Lennon for, for singing How Do You Sleep when he said those freaks was right when they said you was dead. Right. And then when Ringo did back off Boogaloo, Philip Norman said that Boogaloo was a codename the other three Beatles had for McCartney. And there's a line where Ringo says, wake up, meathead, don't forget that you were dead.
3: <laughs> so, you know, you
2: take a look at this, somebody pretty well knew about it. Right. And uh, But it's kind of interesting, the whole thing is. And maybe we'll never know the truth, and maybe that's how a great urban legend should be. That right. We never really Really told.
1: Well, Gary, my question would be, too, what would be the reason why the Beatles... Let's let's put aside all this for just a minute. What's the reason why okay. the Beatles stopped touring?
2: Well, I, I don't think it was fun. If you remember their last tour when they went to the Philippines, mm-hmm. and uh, they went to the Philippines and they snubbed the Marcus family, and uh, Lennon turns on the television set and he sees Imelda Marcus, all these crying little filipino children and they were talking about how the beetles had snubbed them they wanted to kill and them the, i think <laughs> yeah the Philippine army was coming after them and yeah. they were trying to run to get on the airplane It's pretty scary yeah and mccartney outran everybody to get on the plane <laughs> <and plenty. laughs> and when, see, he wasn't dead at that time and then and john tripped and when john tripped Alf Begnell, their, their uh chauffeur threw his body in front of john and he was beaten severely and wow. when they got on the plane the plane still couldn't leave and they announced for Mal Evans and Brian Epstein to come off the plane. And when they came off the plane, they had to give the uh, government all the money from the show. Wow! And when they got on the plane to fly out, George Harrison looked at the others and he said, "You know, it's not fun being a Beatle anymore."
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: then you got to remember when they did the Beatles are more popular than Jesus Christ. Right. Uh, with Lennon, uh, I think it was in Memphis, uh, which is kind of interesting, but. There was a a report that he had been sent it, or they, he was subject to be assassinated at nine o'clock, and that's what bothered Lennon because it's at nine. And when they were performing, firecrackers went off, and now you're all looking to see who was shot. Right. So it wasn't fun. Right. And they thought they'd channel all their interest in you know being creative and being the greatest band in the world and taking music to a different direction, which they did. And uh, they never played. Of course, there were rumors that they were going to get back together. And of right. course, they did play on the rooftop of Apple. You know.
0: But Actually, I did want to mention that I, you know, with obviously with YouTube and, and a lot of these other video sharing websites, you can see a lot of these really obscure Beatles videos that you'd probably never get to see. And I've, you know, while researching this in the past few weeks, I, I must say that uh, the performance on the on the, the rooftop of uh, Abbey Abbey Road or excuse me, Apple. Uh, what was it? Apple uh, Studio Records, right? Was that what it was? Yeah. Or? Yeah. They. Um, probably one of the most uh, intriguing performances really because I think it was one of their last performances together in public I believe was it not or was there anything else after that that was it and
2: uh, you know the story goes that when Clapton got married Mm -hmm. uh, that they at his wedding with uh, Patty Harrison in London that the Beatles were going to perform and that John Lennon didn't show up of course George was there Paul was there and Ringo was there Mm -hmm. and then when Lave came out if you remember Dick I see, it was Dick Clark was saying nobody, nobody leave because this is going to be a historic moment and mm. then McCartney came out and played and the story goes that it was supposed to be McCartney Harrison and Ringo were right. going to play together right. at the end of Live Eight. but George was afraid he may be shot and Ringo wasn't confident about his drumming so they backed out at the last moment McCartney went out and performed so mm. wow. I guess it's kind of sad but you to also remember guys that they were offered $500 million to recreate the Shea uh, stadium show for 30 minutes, and they turned it down when the anthology came out. And George said, "We can't be the Beatles as long as John is dead."
3: Right.
1: That's well. That's that's you know. That's a lot of people would point to that as a sign of integrity and say, "Money, money doesn't mean that much to me. I, you know, I, I'd rather have people remember how we were rather than hear a, a watered-down version."
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's exactly how I feel. And how many bands would do that today?
1: N- not too many. That's
2: for
0: sure. <laughs> I would say none.
2: <laughs> I would say New Kids on the Block would probably crawl <laughs> to get there.
1: You know, for five hundred million dollars, I'll go out there and I'll sing Beatles songs. <laughs> it won't be anywhere near as good. Of course, Maybe they won't. We in- three could
0: do it. That would be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it would. Be- that would be good. I, of course, uh, we probably have, wouldn't have much of an audience no. if we did, they'd run.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, Gary, we, we wanted to kind of get into a couple of different topics with you today, if that's okay. And I know that the Beatles yeah. is, was, was the focus of, of your book, the, the Walrus Was Paul, which is a great book, by the way. And uh, what I really enjoyed about it, real quickly, is that you, you really entertain all of the theories, and you don't speak uh, poorly about them, because some people really hold on to those beliefs. And, you know, you explain uh, in detail... What the belief is, and and what you know where it comes from, and and not really passing judgment, which I kind of I appreciate that.
2: Well, I appreciate that too, because for me, I love the story, I love the legend, and I'm not I'm not the kind of person you know who who just wants it to blow up. I mean, I'll, I'll lead you to three different positions that you can make up your own opinion, but I have friends, like I said, uh, who who really believe that this imposter theory is real, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's no use arguing with them. You know, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen and I'll smile. But I mean, that's the purpose of great literature, the, and the purpose of the role of myth. You know, let it live forever. A new generation growing up will hear these clues, and it will it will really matter to them when they get to explore the greatest music by the greatest rock band in the world.
0: I think just the last comment I have uh, I have about the Beatles, if I may, <laughs> um, it, it, it's it seems like there's a, there were a lot of things that kind of fell into place to allow that group to perpetuate the way that it did you know obviously with, with the uh, you know, the passing of Stuart Sutcliffe early on and then you know changing from Pete Best to, to Ringo Starr and, and like you said uh, without George Martin they probably wouldn't have been the band that they were um, it's funny after they broke up I mean some of the Beatles obviously had some hits and Paul McCartney continues to this day but they never really could recreate that magic that they, that they had as, as a band together
2: and you're right because what it is is chemistry because right. even that there was ego issues between John and Paul they needed each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were brilliant riders, but they never had the magic apart right. that they had together. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of great rock bands. Yep. You know, Once you have chemistry, don't mess with your chemistry, you that's know, right. keep it going.
0: So I think we're going to get on to uh, some, some more uh, rock and roll myths and legends, if we could. And I think yeah. w- one of the prevailing ideas and theories is that for some re- for some reason rock stars can't die, even when they do die. <laughs> They're they're always alive. (laughs) I mean, can you explain that phenomenon to us in your own words and opinion, please?
2: Well, I think it goes back to ancient history. I think it goes back to the ancient Greeks. If you remember in the Iliad and the Odyssey when a great hero died, he became immortal. He went up to Mount Olympus. He was half-god. And I think the one thing that keeps it alive is that when you listen to the music on your radio every day, they're still with you.
3: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, it's not like you just forget about them. I mean, the music lives on. As long as the music lives on, they live on. Mm-hmm. All those emotions that were shared with it, that lives on. And, you know, just the idea, I mean, well, I was on coast to coast with Ian, and uh, they were talking about Michael Jackson, and I said, I'll make a prophecy I, real quick <laughs> when he died. Yeah. I said, I guarantee you that, number one, there'll be a theory that he faked his death. Yeah, right. And number two, the next camp will say that he was murdered. And I said, this will all happen within two weeks. And I look what wrong. happened, right? Yeah. Yeah, because it follows the pattern. It follows the pattern. Yeah, I think most and, people uh, thought he was
1: going to come out of that coffin at that, at the uh, memorial and start doing the moonwalk across the stage. <laughs> uh, yeah, the but stage. what
2: was funny, now they're saying his body wasn't even in the coffin. <laughs> right. You know, so and that's like the Elvis like, myth. Oh, or <laughs> where was he? Where is he? Is he in Barry uh, Gordy's crypt, you yeah. know, in California? So, you know, the whole thing happens <laughs> like that. You know, he's going to make millions because, you know, he faked his death. So all those concerts, you know, they had him insured. And then the idea that, well, no, he was murdered because, mm-hmm. you know, for the insurance policies. and. And whoever it is, guys, it's going to follow that pattern because that's the basis of myth, well, that, and, and yeah. that's how it works.
0: Well, that brings us right to, uh, obviously, the the largest uh, you know conspiracy in terms of faking their death, of course, would be Elvis Presley, the story of Elvis Presley. And uh, going back to when I was a kid, my, my, my friend Keith and I...
1: Keith, we're going back to Keith already. <laughs> yeah, we did a...
0: Uh, we did a presentation in sixth grade. I don't remember why we did this, but we did a presentation of uh, at Elvis Presley. We, we gave to the class all the different clues that would prove that he was alive hmm. from, obviously, the him not being in the coffin, like you said, like it was a, a wax dummy, and uh, all the different Elvis is alive theories. And, uh of course, nobody in the class was convinced in any way, and What's everyone what?
1: thought you had spent <laughs> m- way too much time on that.
0: That that is correct. So maybe you <laughs> can talk just briefly about uh, some of the you know the, the myths surrounding Elvis and, and his death. And, and is he alive or is he dead?
2: Well, you know, in 1977, when all this came out, there were a few books that were rather sensational. One included a cassette tape, supposedly with Elvis calling the author, and, and the tape was made you know with referencing points that Elvis couldn't have known since he died in 77, so he had to be alive. And of course, then they found out that this was done for an Elvis fan magazine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first thing with Elvis's death, if I remember, uh, in 1978, the famous pool house picture came right. out, where someone had taken a picture in a pool house and it looked like Elvis was sitting there with his glasses, and that came out. And then... The next year in 79, Geraldo had a show called the Elvis cover-up. Movie. Ah, the great Well,
1: Geraldo. if Geraldo's involved, then that's got to be <laughs> true. You
2: know it has to be true. <laughs> and uh, so then, the, the, is Elvis alive? The great clues came out, conspiracies. And you know, you have people who do not want to let go. And, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, when John Lennon died, I was devastated because I grew up with the Beatles. I didn't know Lennon. But he, I, I felt like he was a childhood friend because his music had meant so much to me.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: it took me, it took me a week to get over it. You know, I mean, I couldn't even listen to Beatles songs. I mean, it was really emotional for me. And I know mm-hmm. that a lot of people who grew up with Elvis had the same thing. And, uh, you know, they have this vigil at, at Graceland, you know, in Memphis. And, and, but a lot of the clues that came out originally have pretty well been disproven. And, and you know, like the bit about the heavy coffin with the air conditioner. Right. You know, I mean, this coffin was, uh, you know, it was made out of, I think it was copper. And the thing weighed 800 pounds. Because, and plus Elvis you know,
1: was a big man at the time, too.
2: Yeah, it was, and you know the wax dummy thing. Uh, you know, first of all, if the wax dummy was melting mm-hmm. in a coffin, I mean, what the temperature does wax melt it has to be over 150 yeah. degrees. I don't think it was hot in Graceland. And the reason I really know is I was good friends with Carl Perkins.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I got to meet Carl before he died, and so here I am in Nashville, and uh, I was with Carl. And it was I think it was in 1996, and. 97, and I asked him, I said, Carl, you went to the funeral of Elvis. Is he really dead? And he says, Gary, Elvis is dead. not mm-hmm. there. So when he told me that, I mean, I, I was pretty well over it. And the, the bit about the life insurance policy, one of those has been cashed in now. So, you know, basically the thing about fraud, Elvis' appearings all over the country, uh, DNA. I mean, first of all, if someone has DNA, I mean, you have to have a chain of custody where right. this comes from. I right. mean, you could give DNA and it could be Elvis, you know. But mm-hmm. How do you know it's actually from Elvis Presley? So, you know, it's still going to be in the news, but I don't think it's as big a story. I went out to uh, LA to film a documentary on Elvis, and it was supposed to be Elvis is alive. So I sort of gave a different view of it. And <laughs> they weren't happy it, to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was a lot of uh, misinformation, like Elvis and his mother died at the same age. That's not true. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's, it's the part of myth where everything's accepted.
0: Well, it's not like Elvis was the picture of good health at the time either. He was obviously well overweight, no. on a lot of different drugs, and actually he couldn't even. You know, watching some of the, some of his videos, he couldn't even remember the words to some of his songs, and you know he'd sweat profusely on stage. So obviously, it's not out of the realm of possibility that his no, that his no, heart exploded. <laughs> well, that's. But
2: it makes a great story, and it's a great legend, and, and you know when a younger generation comes up and they pick up on it, it's a great way to get
1: introduced to the music right. and, and the culture of it. Great. Well. Uh, the, Music means we're going another break, and stay tuned with R. Gary Patterson. We're going to get into uh, Robert Johnson and uh, the Crossroads, so stay tuned.
0: Welcome back to the darker side with Mike and Jay. Tonight we're talking to our, our Gary Patterson. We're talking a little bit about the Beatles, Elvis, some other rock and rolls, rock and roll myths and legends. Gary, I think the last thing I want to ask you about Elvis is the uh, the singer Orion or Orion or how you want, however you want to pronounce it. I was we used to listen to those albums trying to figure out if that was actually Elvis reincarnated.
2: Well, it was a good angle, you know. I mean, the book came out, uh, an album was released with him. He had this secret mass, but. He played one show, took the mask off, and oh. had stepped down. Right, he admitted he wasn't Elvis. And I think, I think the man was uh, killed violently. I think he was shot. I and mean, I think he maybe is in Alabama. I can check on that for you. But, now, who was yeah, he? Was he right.
0: just just an Elvis impersonator trying to cash Elvis in? Elvis impersonator. Okay, you know? right.
2: And uh, he sounded very, very much like Elvis.
0: Okay.
1: Well, um, uh, Gary, one of the questions we wanted to ask you about was uh, one that we find very interesting here in the program, just because we normally deal with paranormal events and things sure. of that sort and that's about Robert Johnson which a lot of folks nowadays don't know who that is but basically he's referred to as the the grandfather of rock and roll is that right?
2: Well that's true if you ask uh, Eric Clapton or Keith Richards or especially Jimmy Page you know they will tell you that Robert Johnson was the originator with his unique style of playing right and from the Mississippi Delta because that's where it all began mm-hmm. and uh, but anyway you know, he's got a great story because you just can't be a great player. You know, if you're very good, then you've got to have a little supernatural help. Right. Whether you're Paganini, the great violinist, you know, who had to bring a note from his mother when he went into Nice in France saying the devil wasn't his father. So, Mm
3: -hmm. I mean,
2: it's not the first time it's happened with a musician, but Robert Johnson supposedly made a pact with the devil at Highway 61 and Highway 49, right outside Clarksdale, Mississippi. And the legend was that if a blues man took his guitar and he waited at midnight and he played a few good licks on his guitar, that he would feel this presence behind him but he dared not look and it would be this huge black man who would reach for his guitar and you would hand the guitar to him and you would hear the guitar tuned to a very special tuning Mm -hmm. and once the tuning stopped and the guitar was passed over your shoulder, if you took the guitar back then you had made your pact with the devil and you'd be given the power to play the blues, to win women, uh, you know, to to game
0: things, I needed the win, women part. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: like could have um. used that it when I was a teenager. in Rhode That,
0: that, yeah. that, that actually—that actually,
1: that actually, according to legend, is—correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but that's a in uh, from the voodoo legend uh, by a uh, uh, deity by the name of Papa Legba, who actually yep, Legba. Would, would be the the. Uh, see that? I, we do some research on the show. We're not as uh, we're not as great, dumb yeah. as we look. <laughs> but um, yeah, so so Robert Johnson supposedly, and I think most of this took place because uh, just a year before. Robert Johnson became somewhat locally famous in the, in the Delta for playing outstanding guitar and blues guitar and, and all of that. He was a terrible musician, is that correct?
2: <laughs> he was terrible. And when he would play, the old blues guys would dodge him. People like Sun House, you House know, and, and uh, Charlie Patton. They didn't want to play with this kid. So he disappears for a while. He goes looking for his father. And when he came back, when they finally heard him play, he was so incredible. In such a short amount of time, Sunhouse House turned to the others and he said, you know... He sold his soul to play like that. Mm. And then the legend started. So when he played the juke joints, people had heard the story of Robert Johnson. They'd walk in and he'd be playing and he had a cataract in one of his eyes. And a, the light would hit his eye and it made his eye glow. And they thought- <laughs> That's pretty eyes. creepy right there. It's creepy. <laughs> and then when he'd play certain passages, he'd turn his back to the audience so they couldn't see what he was doing. Uh, they couldn't figure out his licks and his tunings. Hmm. And then one night he was given a, a poisoned bottle of whiskey that he unfortunately drank. and and it took him three days to die. And the legend says he died on his hands and knees howling like a dog. And that ended Robert Johnson's life. I think that a lot of the great British players were introduced to his music because of the legend. right? And they said, oh, I've got to hear this music. You and know, you and you he, yeah. oh,
1: he never denied that. As a matter of fact, isn't it correct, he um, actually said a few times that he did sell his soul to the devil to be able to play that way?
2: Well, actually, he said that the devil taught him to play ah. in graveyards at night. <laughs> and wow. So, and uh, this man who was from Alabama, his name was Ike Zinneman, which is not exactly your standard blues name. You know? <laughs> Ike Zinneman, not like you know Blind Lemon Jefferson. Right. But he was supposed he said he claimed to be the devil, and he taught Johnson how to play in cemeteries. But, you know, I'm not sure that Johnson ever uh, confirmed or even denied that he had sold his soul to the devil. I know that it goes back to Tommy Johnson who was another Blues player who claimed that he had made a pact with the devil. is no relation to Robert. But the story brings in the occult with rock and roll, because when Johnson died at 27, over 42 rock stars died at the age of 27.
1: Right, that's the, the next point we were going to get to was the, was the 27 club, so to speak. And Robert Johnson was really the first recognized uh, member of that club, is that right?
2: Well, yeah, he was the first person who had a major influence on rock and roll to die at 27. And and when you take a look at it, you know, you say, well, you know, how many rock stars were there? So at first when I wrote the book, I was amazed when I was researching some of these artists. I thought, okay, Robert Johnson died at 27. Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones died at 27. Jimi Hendrix died at 27. Mm-hmm. Janis Joplin died two weeks later at 27. Jim Morrison died at 27. I thought, oh, my gosh. That's pretty coincidental. Came from the Grateful Dead. Died at 27. Uh, Blind Al Wilson from uh, Cantee died at 27. Pete Ham from Petfinger died at 27. Even Kurt Cobain right. died at 27. I remember his mother when Cobain died, and she said, "Now he's gone and joined that stupid club." I told him not to join wow. that stupid club. Now, what do you think so, the
0: significance of that number number is uh, in terms of uh, you know any kind of uh, occult or maybe even a paranormal event or phenomenon is it, or is it just a coincidence? What do you think?
2: Well, you know, it's kind of interesting. I did a show. It still comes on. If you guys watch E!, there's a show I was involved with called Doomed to Die, 13 Curses. Mm-hmm. And one of the 13 curses is rock stars who die at the age of 27. And I had Glennis McCance come on, who's a numerologist, and she was talking about 2 plus 7 equals 9. And a 9 is a number of power.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: that if you die with a spiritual number of 9, then you've done about everything you can do in this life. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you also have the number two and the number seven. So it has a numerological thing about people who are escapists, who may who search for love, and they may be involved with, more, with drugs. And you have two plus seven, of course, is nine, where well, you have nine months that a baby goes full term before it's born. And in astrology, they say that 27 is a year of cycles, that you enter from one cycle into another. So it, it's just really interesting. But once I'd brought it up before, and I started this thing about the 27 club or 27, I got an email from a guy who was going for a doctorate, and he was in statistics, and he said, I added all the ages of all rock stars who died from Richie Valens at 17, all the way up, 42 rock stars, that at the age of 27, it's the number one death of rock stars at that age. Oh. And I read an article with John Mayer, and they asked him, they said, well, what do you think your greatest accomplishment is? And he said, well... I made it past 20 <laughs> <laughs> so Well wow. you know it's in there. You know, they sort well, of think about it. I
1: wonder how much of this, uh, how much of their lifestyle plays into that. I mean, and you, you, if you factor in that most people are not famous musicians at the age of 19, and sure. it takes them a few years to, to build up their career, and really, the age of 27, mid-30s, that's really the, the prime yeah. of many rock stars' careers.
2: Yeah, see, what I would think, if I'd said a vast majority of rock stars die under the age of 30, that would have been good. I mean, that would have been very explainable. Mm-hmm. But the age, the exact age of 27, and you got to remember, when I did this, I didn't add people who were close to 27.
3: Mm-hmm. I wasn't
2: pushing it like the Paul is Dead clue, saying, well, he was in his twed- 27th year of life. right? Because then I could have added five other artists. But no, they had to be 27 when they died. And the mm-hmm. list keeps going on. And, you know, whether it's Bad karma, or whether it's you know it's just one of the the greatest coincidences. It's a terrible coincidence, you know. But I know the rock stars have it in their mind now because I mean, there's even I think there's sites called the 27s now, mm-hmm. you know, where they're sort of grouped together because that was the age they died. And obviously, John Mayer knows about it, and a lot of other artists because they talk about you know maybe they're a little testy at the age of 27. So if you're a rock star and you're 27. Stay out of small planes. <laughs> watch your, <laughs> watch your indulgence. And get is, off the drugs. And, and never and play your electric guitar in a bathtub. So, you know, <laughs> stay out of that.
0: Now I got to ask you. You know, one of the artists that you just mentioned, obviously the legendary Jimi Hendrix. Uh, right. he, he's one that passed at at the age of 27. Have you heard? Did you hear the the interview recently with uh, James Tappy Wright, who was uh, a Jimi Hendrix roadie? Uh he, yes. he talks about how Jimi Hendrix. He knows firsthand
2: that he was that he was murdered. Did you? Well, you know, that's a story that's that's been around for a while because well. Mike Jeffrey was uh... hendrix's manager mm-hmm. and there were some organized crime r- links and i know that hendrix was wanting to leave jeffrey mm-hmm. and he really wanted chas chandler back but you know chandler was considering it and i mean th- there's other things like hendrix had heroin placed in his suitcase by jeffrey when he was going into canada so it was an idea that jeffrey could get him and they re- people were saying that hendrix was almost a nervous breakdown when he was back in england Right. and the idea that someone broke in and, and uh... They gave him uh, the sleeping pills and then poured so many bottles of wine down his throat to to have him drown. To me, you know, that could be true. I think the other thing is that when his girlfriend, Monica Daneman, awoke, you know, why did she call Eric Burton? I mean, why did she leave the apartment, call Eric Burton, wait over 30 minutes before she called the ambulance? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she always claimed that when the ambulance came, the ambulance drivers told her that Hendrix was alive. And that she was expecting him to be alive at the hospital, and then she waited, and she finally found he had died. Right. So you know, there's a story there. But I mean, even Mike Jeffrey to talk about how strange this is. You know, uh, you know the famous Hendrix groupies like Monica Daneman. After she did her book on Hendrix, uh, she committed suicide, and uh, she you know she put a hose on the back of her Mercedes muffler and, and asphyxiated herself. Devon Wilson, who Hendrix had written. Uh, Dolly Dagger for, took a swan dive off the Chelsea Hotel in New York mm. and killed herself. And then Mike Jeffrey, the guy who was all of it, who was uh, brought into a court to atone for his mismanagement. The plane he was flying in, I think it was from Spain, blew up, and he was killed. Well. So, I mean, you talk <laughs> about some bad vibes and yeah. some bad luck around the Hendrix estate. That was it.
1: Well, uh, uh, you know, it just seems like you said before. It, it all goes back to the, to the common theme around rock stars. And even when you have almost what you would consider a, a case-closed airtight this is what happened There are always gonna be rumors that that's not what happened I mean the same can be said for Kurt Cobain which to most people appears to be a straight suicide but now you also have people saying well no it was Courtney Love that did it and so on and so forth so
2: yeah I mean I've I've heard that the case is supposed to be reinvestigated I know Ian Halpern who's written two books on the subject, and he told me two years ago he was pretty well convinced they were going to reopen it. So, I mean, who knows? But, I mean, these people become legends. The music lives forever. They live forever. It's like Neil Young said, Russ never sleeps, you know, (laughs) and it's better to burn out, you know, than fade away. So, I mean, that's what keeps keeps their legend going.
0: Well, Gary, I, unfortunately, we're running out of time. Obviously, we only have an hour, so
1: this could be a you know six or seven hours. I wish we had five hours a night like George does.
0: <laughs> I, know. Well, I tell you, guys, I mean, I'd love to do your show
2: any time. I had a great time with you.
0: Outstanding. Well, if, if people want more information on you, Gary, and uh, where can they get a hold of you, and what are you what are you working on right now?
2: Well, you can get me at www.rgarypatterson.com, and you can keep up with me there on, on my appearances. And I've got a nice little photo section on paul dead photos you guys would like to check out today that would be great i stuck that up just for you oh, great. <laughs> i'm so, sure <laughs> and no really and uh, the other thing is that i'm i'm trying to work on a couple of television projects mm-hmm. so i've been out to hollywood working on a few things in development and uh, i'm still researching some more books and getting it together i've got a, some great stories that are rather chilling i mm-hmm. guess my next one will probably be one of the scariest books I've ever written in rock and roll, so it's got some stories that uh, you guys will love.
1: That's great. That sounds great.
0: Gary, the uh, up rally, huh? The the, <laughs> the, uh, the last question I, I have, rock and roll-related question, it's the biggest myth, legend, conspiracy, whatever you want to call it uh, that I can think of, is what does the R stand for in your name, R. Gary Patterson?
2: <laughs> well, you know, that's kind of interesting. The reason I use the initial mm-hmm. is because there is a famous painter whose name is Gary Patterson, ah. and he does a lot of sports. I mean, he's great. I mean, I love his stuff. But, you know, sometimes I get emails for him offering to pay me $20,000 to do a print. And you say, <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I, I would I'd be glad to do it, but I think they got the wrong one. And I'm sure he gets a lot of interesting emails, too, <laughs> on Rock and Roll Myths and Legends. So I have to differentiate myself from, from that. That's why the initial is there. But actually, it stands for Rudolph. Wow. And uh, really so that's uh, that's my first initial. But that's why the initials on the website, because you know, got to give him some peace and, and me too. Well, Ga- if Gar- anybody would like me to do a painting, I'd be glad
0: to do it. <laughs> Twenty-five thousand, sure, I can do a good one.
1: I'm sure you're talented.
0: I'm not going to lie to you, Gary. When I was emailing you the first time, I wrote the wrong name in the email window, and I wrote, <laughs> I emailed Gary Patterson, the painter. <laughs> and he said, you got the wrong guy, and then I emailed you. So. <laughs> well, I'm I, sure he's never heard that before.
2: No, but I, I'm sure it's kind of funny. I've not met him, but I'm sure we would have many great stories <laughs> to tell each other.
0: All right, Gary, well, listen, we really appreciate it. I mean, we're just we're just a little uh, production here, but we appreciate you taking the time for us and uh, and coming on and, and shedding uh, some, some light on, on some of these myths and legends and taking the time with us today.
2: Hey, guys, I had a great time. Call me anytime. Let's do it again.
1: Thanks, Gary. No Ber-
2: problem. Take All care. Right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Well, our guest tonight was our Gary Patterson. Certainly, that hour flew. Absolutely, and uh, definitely, I don't think anyone would have any more information on any of those subjects than that man.
0: No, and, and like like he said, I think hopefully, hopefully in the future we can we can have him again on at some point, and we can get into some of the more interesting uh, myths of rock and roll. Um, but if you want more information on our Gary, R. Gary Patterson, you can reach him at rgarypatterson.com.
1: And you can reach, and actually, our website is up and running. It is. You can you can view our beautiful faces at www.thedarkersideradio.com. And there you can also check out some other cool stuff. You can get a hold of us and uh, check it out.
0: That's right. You can uh, view some of our past shows. It's still in, uh, it's still kind of in construction form. We're looking at uh, hopefully archiving our past shows on there as well at some point. So you can go right online and listen to them. So next week we'll be dis- discussing another interesting and exciting, strange topic. But until next time, just remember, the truth exists. Believe it.